0: Hello everybody, welcome to yet another interview from the Adventures in Odyssey blog. Today is a very special day for several reasons. For one, I have Tasha here with me. Hi everyone. And Ashley. Hello. And for the first time, Tasha's husband Jordan. Hi guys. And what makes it even more special is today we are interviewing our very first sound designer for Adventures in Odyssey, and that sound designer is
1: Jonathan Crowe. Welcome, Jonathan. Well, thank you so much. Uh, It's a pleasure to be able to speak to you. I hope it is special. I'm not so sure about that. (laughs) We'll see.
0: Well, you've you've done a lot of great work over the years, and so it's a pleasure to talk to you about it today. Well, thank you. Well, Jordan, since this is your first time, how about you go ahead and read the first question?
1: How did you come to work for Focus on the Family and Adventures in Odyssey? Well, that is an interesting question. Um, I grew up in Canada, and um, when I finished, finished high school, I went to a broadcasting course in college and ended up working in production in radio stations, uh, four radio stations to be exact, and I was doing radio station production. And uh, it was in a, a mainstream kind of environment. And I always wanted to uh, work for a Christian-based organization. And in 1987, I was—I uh, had just dropped my wife off at work. She was a nurse, so I dropped her off at the hospital. And as I was coming home, um, I was just tuning the dial, listening to different radio stations like I like to do. And I heard this radio station way off in the country It was staticky. You could hardly hear the audio, but uh, on the program, Dr. Dobson and Mike Trout came on and they said, and uh, we're starting a new program here at Focus on the Family called Adventures in Odyssey, and we're going to play 15 minutes of that program. So I listened to the uh, short uh, piece of Odyssey, and I fell in love with it right there and then. I couldn't believe the uh, quality of the actors and voices that they were using, the writing, and even some of the sound effects and and production elements that they were um, using. And I thought that's the kind of style of production that I would like to do. But the problem was, as a Canadian, how in the world would I get to uh, focus on the family, which was in L.A. at the time? Uh, I, I didn't know how to go about that. That's very difficult to do if you want to come in the legal way. And uh, through a process of the events, it, it took, I'd say, uh, five or six years. I kept applying, talking to people, and eventually found out that Focus was moving from uh, L.A. to uh, Colorado Springs. And Chuck Boldy, who was the uh, producer of the show back then, wasn't sure if all the production guys were going to move uh, to Colorado Springs. It turned out that they did. And so they didn't have an opening for me in Odyssey at that time. But he said, our creative services department has an opening. And uh, so they hired me. And so for six years, I did commercials and promos and that sort of thing for everything uh focus. And then there was an opening in 1998 uh, that came up for Odyssey. They were looking for a guy internally. And they knew me because Dave and Mark, Mark Drury, Dave Arnold, uh, they were moving on and putting all their energies into establishing radio theater. So that's how I started with Adventures in Odyssey.
0: Well, I looked on uh, the Adventures in Odyssey Wikipedia before we started this, and it looks like you have um, sound design 150 episodes with the long end part three, I believe, being the 150th. So congratulations on that.
1: Yeah, it's a few. Uh it's been a it's been a journey.
0: <laughs> is there an episode that you wish you could go back and redo?
1: I'd like to go back and redo every one of them. How's that? Okay, you're not buying that?
0: Well, I can kind of relate to that because I'm kind of a perfectionist, so I can under- totally understand that reasoning.
1: There is some truth to that because uh when you finish a show, I'm always thrilled when when uh I get all the corrections done and um, it it's finally, it finally passes, and then I can move on to the next episode. But it really is never done. It could be better, you know, and I know that. I find it hard to go back and listen to anything I've done for that reason. But uh, seriously, one show that I would like to go back and redo, if I could, uh, was Telemachus. That was a two-parter. It was done uh, in the early years, when I was uh, first starting out in Odyssey. And, uh, It was uh, modeled after Patrick, A Heart of Fire. And Patrick, A Heart of Fire was the first show that I ever did. And I remember Paul and Dave saying that they weren't too sure about that show. They didn't think it turned out too well. But after the recording, the actors really lifted it, and it turned out to be an excellent production. So uh, Al Jansen and the writers back then, they wanted to model a show after that, and they came up with Telemachus, and... um, The only problem with it, it just didn't work as well, I don't think, with the acting and uh, the production that I was involved in. And for one reason, there was a lot of battle scenes and sword fights and horses and all sorts of things like that and crowds. And back then, I was only working on a 16-track machine. And what I mean by that when I say tracks, that means that uh, there were 16 different layers, if you will if you want to use that kind of language and that's all i had and where today we can we can have unlimited layers when when it comes to putting a show together and with a show like that that would have really helped us to have more layers to put in the sounds and getting getting it working right those weren't the only problems that i saw with the 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 program but um that was my part where i thought i could have done better if i could do it again does that make sense
0: yeah, I I know when you go back and listen to stuff that you've done a while back, I know it I know the the axiom, I guess you would call it goes is, you know, you're whoever does their own work, like they're their own worst critic and I can I can certainly attest to that.
1: Well, that's right. Yeah.
0: But I think you did a very good job with the episode and there's not I don't think there's anything in that that stood out to me that, that sounded bad bad at all and I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty critical listener now.
1: Well, I'm glad I fooled you then, Austin. All right, I passed. All right, <laughs> woohoo! <laughs> oh, that's good.
0: So, what episode would you say had the hardest sound effects to create or record?
1: You know, uh, I think every Odyssey that I put together has a challenge with it, no matter how how you may think it is simple or how complex it is. Some of the hardest shows are ones that uh, seem the simplest because what do you do? to try and bring it to life and and uh, make it special you know uh, so you have to be creative and and a lot of the stuff that you do doesn't really stand out so there's that aspect but specifically as far as hard as sound effects to create I always go to the buck starts here do you know that show Austin
0: yeah that's the one with the um, mud battle I believe
1: yes uh-huh and uh, it was at a time I left Focus for a few months, and I did that as a freelancer. So I didn't have all the, all the resources of working here at Focus as far as microphones and so on. So that was part of the challenge, too. But the other part was just how do you uh, create a mud ball war? And the mud ball shooters were attached to the bicycle, and what did they sound like? Well, first of all, the good thing was that uh, who's to say what it sounds like because there isn't such a thing. So I got to define that. And uh, and so it was an interesting journey putting that together. Um, what I did was, uh, and I talked to other people. They gave me ideas. It wasn't all just my idea. I tried to collaborate on how to go about it. And this this really pained my wife. But I went to the grocery store and I picked up, about $30 worth of excellent fruit, and uh, from grapefruit to uh, tomatoes to uh, oranges, you name it, anything that I thought would splat, and then I brought it home to our back patio, and I, I got a stepladder, and around the stepladder, I put a, a sheet, and uh I put a couple of st- microphones for in a st- to record in stereo below the stepladder, and they were protected by the sheet, you know, so that the gunk wouldn't get caught on the uh, on the microphones. And this is what pained my wife because I I got up on the ladder and then I started to smash this good fruit on the <laughs> ground, and uh, uh, it was interesting. Some of the, some of the fruit made a good sound, and some of it didn't. I think, of course, the uh, watermelon made a big splat. But then the other problem was that it all sounded the same going onto the cement. So I took some liberties, and then I got other materials that I had to throw the uh, the fruit onto, like uh, a, metal, a metal trash can. It sounded like it was hitting a car. I thought, oh, yeah, that's good. I, got, I brought in wood, and I threw it on wood and started to do that. And uh, so... With all those effects, and then in in the sound effects server, there were sounds of mud splats and mud, you know, kind of gunky sounds that I could add into it. Because part of the problem with that scene, Austin, was that uh, the scene was about three minutes long, which is an eternity. So I wanted a good variety of, of sounds. And I took a little bit of liberty, and I had a bottle rocket kind of whistle by and then a splat. Um, So that's how I did the mud ball. Then for the shooter, I went to a couple of stores like a sports store to Walmart. And I picked up um, various kind of shooters like an air gun and one of those stretchy band things that you try and exercise with. You know it has a real snap to it when you let it go. And so I uh, took the air gun and it would give the pop. But it didn't have enough of a springy sound. So I took the uh, springy exercise equipment, stretched it out, and let it go. And a few things like that, putting them together, it sounded like there was a shot that went by. But then I had to do the bicycle sounds, too, because the kids were riding bicycles. So I got the bicycle, and I would record it. And then there was a bike crash. And uh, I got one of our old bicycles and just threw it down on the ground a few times. So all those sounds put together is how I I did the Mudball War, which was a real challenge, but I was uh, I was happy with it the, when it was done. The other thing I might say, if you, you want to know about it, is those were sound effects intensive. I just did a show that's going to air at the time, time of this recording that's going to run on the club in a couple months. That was a real challenge, but it was a challenge sound effects-wise, yeah... But it was a real challenge as far as uh, processing. Take Every Thought Captive. It's a show that's uh, yet to be released. And uh, it was a show that takes place in the bad girl in Odyssey's mind, in her brain. And that's Valerie. So the whole show is in her brain. And uh, her brain is is presented like it's a city. A city that's gone bad. And so that... uh, That posed a lot of interesting challenges as far as processing. And uh, I'll say you'll just have to keep tuned, tuned into the club, uh, to hear that one. And uh, you can tell me what you think about it.
0: Wow, sounds interesting. Can't wait to hear it. Okay, Ashley, want to go next? All right. What's your most used sound effect in Odyssey episodes?
1: Well, that is an easy one. And uh, it would have to be the wit's end ambience and also the wit's end door. Uh, Dave Arnold put the door together, the sound effect of the door, back in 1987, and we still use it to this day. And I think of it as a godsend far as, um, for the show, because if you listen to the, to the show at all, when you hear that Wits End door sound... Um, you know immediately that the scene's taking place in Wit's End, no matter what other sounds we put into the scene. So that's been a real terrific thing. And over the years, we've tried to beef up some of those sound effects by going and recording other, other situation with kids over here. I focus on the family over in the Wit's End area. Here, I've gone over and and done various recordings that sound a little bit different than the original original ones that Dave recorded back in 1987. But we can take what he recorded, add in some of the newer stuff, and make it sound just a little bit different and freshen it up a little bit. So that's those are sounds that we use all the time.
0: Wow, that's awesome.
1: What sound or scene that you've made are you most proud of? There's so many effects, and uh, when the effect works, I, I'm very happy with it, and I'm proud that I, it worked, you know? Uh, so if I had the single one out, certainly the Mudball uh, War was one of them. But um, there was a show that Nathan Hubler wrote called Swept Away, a two-parter. It it just built to uh, a part in the show where the, the dam broke, and it was a big moment. Uh, we, we led up to it with uh, an episode and a half to get there, so it had to be a big moment, and it was only about 10, 15 seconds long. So that was the other challenge of doing that sound effect. And I think we counted it, and there was at least 17 different sounds that I used to make it work within the 15 seconds. So that's one that I'm proud of.
0: Well, that makes a great segue into the next question. Tasha, you want to ask that?
1: It's been said in the past
0: that water sounds are some of the hardest sounds to work with. Did Swept Away take longer to put together than regular episodes?
1: Uh, no. Uh, well, it, it took longer to put together than just an ordinary uh, slice-of-life type odyssey. Yes, it did. And uh, one of the challenges with that show, well, there were a lot of challenges, but uh, uh, that you may not think about, was that uh, there were so many scenes where it was raining outside. We were inside. There was rain outside. We were outside. We were outside and on Mrs. Kramer's porch. Um, we were also out on the street. We were up at the uh, at the lake, and that's where the uh, we were in the little hot inside. But it was raining. It was wet everywhere you go. And rain is one of those things that looks good in film when you're watching it, uh, and then you hear the sound. But when it's just an audio drama and you don't get have the visual effect of it to create that sound. It was a challenge, uh, because rain can just sound like a uh, hiss or just something splatting away. Is that bacon frying or what is that? So, um, what I did there was I just did a lot of research in our, from our sound effects library and got all sorts of different sounds of, uh, rain. And, um, I put them together. I think I had 24 tracks, 24 different layers of rain and, uh, what I was specifically looking for was rain that was hitting some sort of material, because that sort of sort of gave it more of a definition that this is rain. So I had rain that was hitting grass, and then there was rain that was hitting uh, asphalt, cement. There was rain hitting a roof from the inside outside perspective. There was rain hitting an old porch. Uh, there was rain coming down a drain pipe. All sorts of different rains. And then what I could do, and according to the scene, I can mix and match those sounds and make it sound different. So when we were on Mrs. Kramer's porch, it, I'd have more of the drain pipe and a little bit of the rain hitting the top of the the roof. And uh, when we were at Wits uh, coming up to Connie's garage, well, there was more of an asphalt, cement kind of sound. But it, it was slapping up. The rain was slapping up against something. And uh, so... Uh, that turned out to be a challenge because of the number of scenes where that type of sound effect was happening.
0: Well, I think you did a great job. That's um, one of the episodes that you've done that really stand out in my mind is having really, really great sound effects.
1: Well, good. Thank you very much. And of course, Nathan did a great job writing it. And it was uh, certainly a team effort. I I relied on Nathan to, to come in and I'd ask him, is this, is this working? And He'd give me his input and take off, and then I would work on it some more and and until we finally got it done.
0: Well, speaking of working on AIO episodes, what kind of software do you use to edit them?
1: Well, there's been a number of uh, types of software that we've used down through the years. And uh, the guy who uh, uh, catalogs or libraries all the shows, and he uh, does the final tweaks and touches on the end of it, Rudy Hare he's had to go through years of uh, producing this show and try and bring it to one kind of format because it started with reel-to-reel tape back in the day, back in 1987. And we've gone from there to digital DATS to uh, uh, different kind of um, software packages. But uh, for the most of it, we've landed in uh, what is, I think, considered to be the industry standard uh, audio production software. And that is from Avid. It's called Pro Tools, and um, that is used in the movie industry, TV industry, uh, it, music music industry. It, it's it's a standard. So our um, studio, for example, in Burbank where we record the show, uh, they have Pro Tools there, and we record directly to Pro Tools. We have Pro Tools throughout Focus here. I even have Pro Tools on my laptop at home. And so when we're done recording this session, we can uh, take – Take the session and just open it in in a session here on a computer. We don't have to do any converting or anything like that. We can just start wailing away on the show. So that's a that's a good thing.
0: Could you share some memorable experiences from recording AIO?
1: Well, as I as I mentioned, um, we record the show in Burbank, California. That's where uh, our talent is, and um, So I think every session, there's something memorable that goes on and, uh, some sessions go better than others. There's some that are just, uh, uh, real, there's real drama behind the scenes just to to get it to work because some people haven't showed up or one actor isn't working out in the, the part like we thought, thought, but as Nathan, uh, Hubler and I were talking about this one, one particularly nice moment comes to mind and, uh, This was with Katie Lee, who plays uh, Connie, and we were doing a scene from a show. I don't even remember what the show was, but uh, Katie often says that uh, Odyssey is art mimicking life. Uh, She often feels that way. So we were recording a scene with Katie, and it was a scene with a father uh, talking to his daughter. And there was something about that scene that really touched Katie, and she just uh, burst into tears. And uh, there was this kind of awkward silence in the studio. And I, you know, I was engineering the session. Marshall Younger was directing the session, and uh, I didn't know what to do about it. Fortunately, Marshall had the good sense, and uh, he just stopped the session. He went in, put his arm around Katie, and uh, just talked her through it. And that was uh, a memorable, uh, sweet, occasion in in the studio
0: well that's that's a neat story you know and us fans listening to it um the show really affects us but i guess we don't think too much about how much it can affect the actors and the people working on the show too
1: yeah and that's something that we uh really hope happens and it's something that uh i'm sure we don't know to the full extent and may not know to the full extent till we're in heaven yep What's a typical workday look like for you? Well, there is no typical workday in some respects, in other respects I suppose there is, because there's different aspects to the production that we do every time. Like we we get a session after it's recorded and we start doing the voice track at it. And uh that often takes me about a week to get the voice track uh edited. And what what I mean when I say edited Uh, You probably understand that there's uh, multiple takes done and pickups done for each scene. What our job as sound designers is to take the tracks that were recorded in the studio and uh, um, put them together into a final take. So we've been given a palette, if you will, of different takes. It's like different colors when you're painting or whatever. And we try and, and bring it together into one one kind of color. And uh, we listen to all the takes, the pickups, and uh, sometimes we'll go phrase by phrase, line by line. And we'll use um, take one here, take three there, take two. And um, that's how we piece it together. And we're looking for the performance. We're looking for the pacing. We don't want it going too fast. We don't want it going too slow, depending on on the scene and what how the scene dictates it, and then after we get that done, then uh, the writer, producer Dave Arnold, Nathan Hubler they come down and listen to it, and that's that's really good because um, they, they can be a little more objective with the whole thing and they can see things that are working well, things that aren't working well. We often make edits to the show of, of things that we thought were going to work, maybe didn't work as well, and what that does, Austin, is uh. It uh, saves time in the post-production when we go to put the show together. If we can cut it at the voice track stage, then uh, we don't have to produce it. So that that helps save the time. After I get the voice track done or we get the voice track done, we uh, do some music notes on the script, where we want music to come in, what type of music, we anything particular, or if there's a turn in the uh, drama, you know, far as the uh, uh, emotion, it goes from kind of serious to a comedic kind of little turn, we'll maybe note that, and then off goes the script and the, uh, uh, the voice track to the composer, and in most cases, it's John Campbell, he's been doing the show for over 30 years, he's really established the music sound to Odyssey, and uh, He does his magic. He takes my hands, our hands, scratches and and makes something wonderful out with the music. So while that's going on, then we start into uh, uh, doing the sound effects and uh, we'll we'll try and get as many effects as we can from our sound effect server. We have well over 100,000 sound effects that we purchased and also that we've recorded over the years that are on the server. So we start to build the scenes. And what we're trying to do with the scenes is make it seem... Uh, like, uh, we're trying to draw you in as a listener and feel like you're a part of the scene. And so there's a realism that we're going for. And uh, we put different, several different layers of just ambiences to give those kind of effects. And uh, then what uh, typically I'll do is we'll go into the, uh, typically what we will do as sound designers, we'll then go into the Foley room. And the Foley Room is just another form of uh, sound design. It's where we uh, act out, give it more the human kind of sound. So we add in the sound effects of the footsteps coming into the scene, any kind of little actions that are going on. If Connie were uh, getting a drink for a kid, well, we'd have the water pour and then put the glass on the table, that kind of thing. We'd sit on chairs. That's Foley. And after that, we... uh, I'll often get the music back for the show, put it in. And once we have all the sounds that we feel we need to try and make this show work and make it sound like uh, we're actually on location where where the scene takes place, not in a uh, you know a dry type studio. Then we'll start the mix. And the mix is just trying to get the temperature right of, of the, all the sound effects, getting the backgrounds where they need to be, and then the foley and so on. So it starts to sound real, like these actors are really moving around in the scene and performing what, what takes place in there. And so that's an important part of the, the whole production. And then after that, it goes to a playback. And what we, we say there, it's a playback reference. And uh, the whole Odyssey team comes down, and we listen to it. Everybody has their opinions. We're a bunch of creatives, and uh, and so uh, <laughs> so it can be uh, quite unruly sometimes. as Far as people's ideas of of what's not working and what should be done, and so that's where uh, we re- rely heavily on our executive producer, Dave Arnold. He has to weigh everybody's opinions and and also the time. You know, we don't want to just keep going on and on. We have to get this show out. So he, he kind of uh, dictates, yeah, maybe you should do this. Uh, leave that one. That I'm okay with that. And uh, so once that's done, we uh, get it fixed. We get it timed out so it's timed out for broadcast. It can be a little bit longer for a retail or a club show. And uh, then we put it to bed and move on to our next show. And the process starts over again.
0: Have you ever acted in an episode of Odyssey?
1: No, I wouldn't say that. I, I've i never acted in an Odyssey episode. Once in a while, uh, my voice has been in a bit little part, but I'm not an actor, and I know that. And also, uh, I don't want to be acting, especially if I'm putting the show together, because uh, I would lose objectivity. I would probably be way too hard on myself and and not right for the part. So, yeah, I try and stay clear of that for that reason. So... I think the answer is basically, no, I haven't acted in Odyssey.
0: (laughs) Well, that's all we have time for today. And we want to thank you, Jonathan, for taking the time to answering these questions and for Nathan
1: for recording and setting this up. Oh, you're most welcome. It's been a pleasure to talk to you about this. And, uh, you know, you you made me think, had to think through the process. So that was a good thing. I enjoyed speaking with you guys.